Well, he is Greek-American. He's a New Yorker. It's a great American success story. He's involved in a number of businesses. He's a great role model. He's got plenty of ideas on how to bring change. Enlists the support of business leaders, elected officials. Katz and Matitas rub shoulders with some of the most powerful people in the world. Great American, a great New Yorker. Now that's John Katz a native New Yorker. Mixing common sense thinking with New York sensibility. He's John Katz owner of 77 WABC. And this is the Cats Roundtable on Talk Radio 77 WABC. Everywhere around the world, they come into America. Every time that flag's on the world, they come into America. Good morning, America. This is the Cats Roundtable. John Katzmatidis here. Sunday morning. One great show for you today. And some of our interviews are so long, we had to put most of them on WABCRadio.com or the mailing that you get. We have a special one from Robert F. Kennedy Jr. You will have tears in your eyes on his description on what happened to his father. Matt Loheimer, who left Space Force, and it's an intriguing interview. Chris Christie, that's going to give you you the sense of what's going on in the GOP. Let's start off with Chris Christie. What is today is Governor Chris Christie. He was the governor of the great state of New Jersey for eight years. And uh, we have him on today on a Sunday morning to find out what's going on in the GOP. Uh, governor Christie, what the heck is going on? John, look, it's uh, there, there's it's a divided GOP in a number of different ways, right? Um, I, I think the first part is the one. Let's talk about what unifies us. What unifies us is that we know that the stuff that Joe Biden and Kamala Harris have done to this country over the last two and a half years has to stop, and it's caused this wild inflation, the, the banking crisis we're seeing that's going on right now. Uh, we're less respected around the world. Um, the educational system in our country is falling apart with this woke nonsense. Um, so that stuff has got to be stopped, and Republicans know that we need to do that. What's dividing us is how's the best way to do it, uh, and that's the fight we're going to have in 2024, uh, and one that we're going to have to have a full family discussion over inside the party because we can't afford to have Joe Biden and Kamala Harris for another four years. Understood. Now, uh, you were, you have made announcements that you're considering it. Have have you been considered it either way yet? Um, I have not made a final decision yet, John, on what I'm going to do, but I'm very concerned that what we're heading towards is a Trump-Biden rematch. And a Trump-Biden rematch is bad for the Republican Party. Donald Trump's done nothing but lose since he won the election in 2016. We lost the House in 2018, the Senate, and the White House in 2020. Uh, we underperformed in 2022 and lost more governorships and another Senate seat. Um, Donald Trump cannot win. Uh, and he's on a vanity exercise uh, to try to uh, make himself feel better. That's not going to make the country any better. That's why I'm considering it, because uh, I'm concerned that the people that are in the race so far are unwilling to take him on directly. And the only way to beat the front runner is to take the front runner on directly. And uh, I understand Governor uh, Youngkin has uh, bowed out. Uh, uh, in the last couple of weeks, and and uh, um, Secretary Pompeo has bowed out uh, in, in the race right now. Uh, 
how do you feel about uh, Governor DeSantis? I mean, I made a few comments about it and uh, made nationwide uh, coverage, international coverage. Uh, how do you feel about Governor DeSantis? Well, look, I'm very concerned, John, and I agree with much of what you've said publicly. Look, his fight against Disney was ill-advised, poorly executed, and not conservative. Um, you know, I always believe that conservatives thought it was wrong to use the power and the levers of government um, to, uh, to to try to change the way people think um, and, to, and to punish people for taking a position on a public issue. Yes, that's exactly what Governor DeSantis did with Disney. Um, it's wrong. And then he got outmaneuvered by Bob Iger on top of it so that now the power he thought he was getting, he's given away. And instead of just bowing out gracefully from that and saying he made a mistake, he's now doubling down and is going to bring lawsuits and all the rest of it. And it's just I'm very concerned he doesn't have the temperament and the judgment to be president of the United States. Well, my my basic thing was that uh, he's doing a lot of good things. People feel good uh, uh, about Florida. I mean, you know what's going on in New York, uh, Governor? Uh, uh, 484,000 New Yorkers have moved. Yes. They don't want to be in New York. And uh, and the other thing, I'll tell you what I've noticed, too, Governor, that New York is very, very busy Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday. Come yes. Friday to Monday night, nobody's here. Nope. Look, people are scared, John, of what's going on in New York. Um, the crazy crime, uh, folks like uh, Alvin Bragg in Manhattan and other DAs um, around the city um, are not doing their job. Um, they're hamstringing the police. Uh, and it's turned into mayhem in New York City. And, you know, that combines with the fact that, you know, people are tired of the crazy taxes and what it costs to live in New York City. Um, and look, the same thing's happening in New Jersey, John. You know, uh, my, my successor, Phil Murphy, has increased spending $19 billion in five years. Um, and we all know that when the federal money stops, that those chickens are coming home to roost and people are leaving New Jersey at a very similar rate to what they're leaving New York. Um, people is are going to go... Is the exodus that high? Is the exodus that high in New Jersey? It's very close, John. It's, it's less than New York, but it's very close because it, we have the highest corporate tax rate in America on the state level. We have a, you know, in the top three of personal income tax rates, we have the highest property taxes in America. You know, So people in New Jersey are suffering as well. Uh, and, and what's going on here and in New York and Chicago, San Francisco, Los Angeles, people are all going to be leaving those places because not only is it too expensive, but the even bigger part, John, they don't feel safe anymore. And I don't understand as a former prosecutor why prosecutors don't want to do their jobs. Violent criminals belong in jail. They've earned the spot and we need to put them there and keep them there. Now, there's a big controversy going on in New York the last uh, week or so. Uh, the, a Marine, you know, an armory. Marines were trained. They were trained to do their job and protect American citizens. On the train, there was this uh, person, this homeless guy, a hoodlum. I don't know what he was, but he had 46 prior arrests, was was abusing the people on the subway. And the Marine jumped uh, and got involved in it. And uh, he put him in a headlock. And, and, and the guy ended up dying. And now they want to accuse the Marine of murder. And the Governor Hochul says they're only gonna accuse, they should be accused of murder. And I, I don't understand. 
understand that. That's a very, very big controversy. Uh, what, what say you on that? Have you learned more about it? I haven't learned more about it. I've only you know learned what you have just said from reading about it. Let me tell you, this is the circumstance that govern that, 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 that this kind of governance has created in New York. Um, whether it's you know D.A. Bragg, Governor Hochul, whoever you want to talk about, who's making these decisions, they have tra- set up a, a system in the city where people no longer feel safe. And I'm sure that this Marine was trying to protect people. That's what he was trained to do. Um, we'll see what all the facts turn out to be. But I'll tell you this. Uh, it, it is true. We should not live in a city where any citizen, Marine or otherwise, on a subway feels like they have to intervene because law enforcement won't do what they need to do to keep our subway safe or our streets safe. Well, thank you for coming on, uh, Governor Christie. And uh, let's all fight for America because we want an America to, that we want to go back to common sense. And I agree with you 110 percent. John, thank you very much for having me on. I love listening to your program on Sunday morning. Thank you so much. Thank you. Uh, this is the Cast Roundtable. We'll be right back. American. You're a classic example of the people who built this country. He's got plenty of ideas on how to bring change. Great American, a great New Yorker. This is the Cats Roundtable on Talk Radio 77 WABC. Now, here's John Katsimatidis. Off we go into the wild blue yonder, climbing high into the sun. Here they come, zooming to me, With us today is Matt Lohmeyer, and uh, he's a graduate of the United States Air Force Academy, uh, a decorated individual, flew uh, uh, T-38s, F-15s, uh, and uh, in uh, October 2020, uh, I understand uh, uh, he got promoted into the United States Space Force. Um, well, welcome uh, welcome to our show, uh, Matt. Uh, t- tell us uh, more about yourself. I mean, I always wanted to go to the Air Force Academy. Uh, how was it exciting? Was it beautiful? <laughs> yeah, you know, I didn't always want to go to the Air Force Academy, in fact, but I was recruited to play basketball, which I only did for one year there. And um, it is beautiful. It's a lovely campus setting just north of Colorado Springs up against the uh, the slope of the mountains there. Uh, lovely setting. It was a terrific education. I was a graduate in 2006. And uh, as you stated, after leaving there, I, I flew jets for the Air Force, ended up doing uh, space-based missile warning for the Space Force and was in command in Colorado. Um, it was like the fourth time I'd been stationed there uh, since my, or third time since my academy time, but I was in charge of the nation's space-based missile warning um, as of 2020 and 2021 uh, when a series of other events unfolded uh, that we might talk about. Hey, I, I must tell you, I, uh, I always wanted to go to the Air Force Academy. Uh, I had the congressional nomination for West Point, but I didn't go. I was an only child, and my, my parents yelled and screamed. I ended up going to New York University. A different life, but I ended up flying jets. Yeah. But uh, now, so... Secretary of the Air, you're, you're still under the Secretary of the Air Force. So the Secretary of the Air Force uh, runs the the Air Force and the uh, uh, Space Force. Is that correct? Yeah, I'm not presently under um, either of those because I separated in the fall of 2021. But um, yes, that's correct. The Space Force, just like the Air Force, all falls under the umbrella uh, of the Secretary of the Air Force, which is a civilian position, and we retain. Um, civilian control of the Defense Department, and um, and the four-star generals work directly for that civilian secretary 
of the Air Force and also for the civilian Secretary of Defense, Lloyd Austin. Uh, you ran into some controversy, or was it uh, a year ago, a year and a half ago? Or, yeah, uh, yeah. And, and tell uh, all America about uh, the controversy you ran into. Uh, in the aftermath of George Floyd's death, there began, uh, Americans saw this on the streets in America, in big cities especially, but it was also happening in the United States military. Uh, there was a social justice activism uh, that paraded under the mask or name of organizations like Black Lives Matter that had a particular agenda at undermining uh, cultural integrity in this country and overthrowing uh, the established government and cultural structure, the destruction of the nuclear family and so forth. Those are their stated aims, not mine. And they were, as far as Black Lives Matter goes, that was an organized Marxist organization and movement. Uh, And that's, again, in their own words, not mine. Now, uh, that kind of social justice activism, which likes to pit people against one another and divide them based on race identity politics, was also running rampant in the military. And I happened to be situated at a base in Denver, Colorado, while I was in command that had uh, a particularly activist uh, base commander. And instead of focus on the mission that we had at hand, uh, and at our base, it was largely a space-related mission, uh, he was interested in um, divesting himself of all obligations to lead his troops for the purposes of the mission, he gave that over to his deputy commander and instead became a social justice warrior and political activist. And it instantly began to divide the workplace because he used, um, he didn't call it this, but I know precisely what it was. It's critical race theory. Uh, it was um, it was blacks versus whites, oppressor versus And who did that? Say that this again. Was the, this, this was a colonel base commander who uh, I worked under at Buckley Air Force Base in Denver, Colorado. Mm -hmm. And so that that was the controversy. It was political activism in the military workplace. And was he a recent promotion or is he uh, just took the uh, decided to take a uh, the lead on uh, this new controversy? Well, he found himself in the perfect position to use his platform as the commander of a base to push a political ideology and a certain view of Western civilization and the founding of the United States in particular, uh, to demonize it, that is. Uh, he was able is, to is use he a, a career military person? Or was he, oh, did yeah, he go yeah. to West Point? He or did he go to... Yeah, he was a, a career military man. He'd been in for well over 20 years and was a colonel. And he's now a one-star general. And they promoted so, him? And, and you had a difference of opinion with him? Uh, and you went on, I understand, a... Uh, uh, somebody's podcast, and you talked about you were you 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 were annoyed that uh, the military was taking a position of uh, uh, I forget what it was uh, that uh, they were promoting. Uh, tell us. Yeah, well, I want to revisit something you just said. I had a difference of opinion from him. That matters very little. Uh, he's entitled to his opinions. I'm entitled to mine. What mattered to me was that he was doing uh, illegal politicization of the military workplace. He was publicly criticizing the sitting commander-in-chief and racially politicizing the workplace, and that's illegal. He should have been fired. And so I filed a written formal complaint to the Space Force Inspector General's office detailing uh allegations of of uh, this illegal political activity for example uh, fear 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 tactics in the lead up 
to the presidential election, um, telling commanders and senior enlisted leaders on the base that he better not see any direct or overt support for the sitting commander in chief, Donald Trump, in the lead up to an election. It's illegal. You can't do that. So I so submitted a written complaint. And because we only have two minutes written, left, and we'll try to get it all okay. in. <laughs> let, let me let me give you the te- the 15 second version on this question. Yes. I submitted a, a written complaint that went up right at the time of the presidential election, and they sat on it for November, December, and January, and then January 6th happened, and my complaint was dismissed because they saw the political writing on the wall. Biden would become the commander-in-chief. So I, I was um, in a position where I wrote a book. I published that book because I needed to get Congress and the American people involved because clearly I couldn't solve these issues, these problems that we were facing in the military using my chain of command. And I was fired from my command for writing and publishing that book and speaking about it, although I never wanted to be partisan. I wanted partisan politics out of the military workplace. So that's that's kind of the that's the controversy that began at my base and uh, what led to me being fired just, and now uh, speaking around the country. Now, are you uh, are you out of the military now? Yes. Yes, yeah, I am. I, I left in September of 2021. Now, you left voluntarily or they fired you? I was fired from my command, and after a three-month investigation, I voluntarily separated, uh, requesting that I receive an early uh, approved pension package, which I was entitled to, is my understanding, and that was denied me. So I separated without my pension in uh, September 21. So uh, how many years did you serve? About 15 and a half. And you're entitled to a pension? Uh, It's called called the Early Retirement uh, Program. It's called TERRA. And Congress occasionally approves an early retirement uh, for certain circumstances, and my attorneys uh, and I requested that, uh, but it was denied by the Secretary of the Air Force. Wow. Well, uh, I guess he's a political appointee. (laughs) Well, yeah, they all are when they get up to those positions, and they've got a political role, undoubtedly, uh, but it shouldn't be the politicization of the military work environment. Uh, That's not what our young men and women sign up for when they join. Well, uh Matt, uh, La, uh, say it again, La, Matt Lomeyer, is that what I said right? Yes, Lo, it's Lomeyer. Lomeyer, thank you for coming on, telling yes, your story to the American people, and I hope there's some justice somewhere in the future for you. Well, I hope there's justice for all of our troops. Uh, there's a lot of firing going on right now and a lot of uh, promotion of political agendas, and uh, that which is unappealing to both service members and the American people. Thank you. Thank you so much. Uh, this is the Cast Round Table. We'll be right back. Telling it like it is, giving you both sides of the story with common sense thinking. It's the Cast Round Table. Handling legal matters is stressful. So let the law offices of Frank Bruno Jr. provide you with the insightful counsel you deserve. The law offices of Frank Bruno Jr. has successfully handled thousands of cases for 25 plus years. They focus on elder law and estate planning, but are equipped to navigate you through all stages of family law and divorce to real estate law and probate. The law offices of Frank Bruno. Call 718-418-5000 or visit them at frankbrunolaw.com. That's frankbrunolaw.com. Frank Bruno. He's your numero uno. What is today is Robert F. Kennedy Jr. And he's a great environmentalist, a a man uh, that uh, always cared about the people. I've known him for uh, 30, 40 years, probably longer. And uh, uh, Mr. Kennedy, tell us, you're running for a campaign for president of the United States. Your name recognition is way up there. Uh, you've already uh, uh, have a polling of 20% or more. Uh, how's the uh, election going? 
Well, so far, so good, John. Um, I mean, I'm having fun. I'm getting to, you know, talk uh, to a lot of people that I haven't been able to talk to because of the censorship for many, many years. And um, my family is happy and, you know, I I feel peaceful and content. And so, and I, and they, you know, as you say, that my polling numbers keep lining up. So, so far, so good. Well, uh, you know, uh... Robert, you know I was a Bill Clinton Democrat, and and I agreed with like 90% of what Bill Clinton did, and I admired him. And uh, things are not the same way right now, and I'm concerned for for our country. Uh, What's going on on the borders is wrong, and the amount of drugs coming through the borders, nobody's doing anything about. What say you about that? I say that we should have closed borders and that we should expand immigration. It's not racist or insensitive to say that we need to close our border and have an orderly immigration policy. I would expand immigration, legal immigration to this country that's orderly, that makes sense for our country, but I would make sure also that our borders are impervious. Because right now, uh, you know, I've, I was talking to somebody and... It's, in between, it's a humanitarian crisis that we now yes. have on the border. It's cruel to the people who've been drawn up there by. It's a crisis. You know, they, by all these open door policies, and you know the, all the children who are being victimized because of this, as you say, the drugs that are coming across the uh, the fentanyl, et cetera. We have a crisis, and we need to close our border. And we also need to understand. The reason that all of these people are coming to the border is traced back to U.S. policies in Central America, which have been, you know, virtually we've we've gone to war with every country except for Costa Rica. We have policies that subjugate the poor, uh, that put corporations, elevate corporate control of those countries, U.S. multinationals. And that uh, are belligerent and punish the poor with murder the poor with you know with periodic wars in Guatemala and Salvador, Panama, etc. The only country that we've never invaded in Central America is Costa Rica, and that's the one group that you won't see at the border. So it's not Costa Ricans who are coming. It's now the the richest country in Central America per capita and the most stable government. Because we've never gone in there and invaded them. And we need to change our policies toward Central and Latin America, make those policies humane-based, um, help those countries, as my uncle tried to do with the Alliance for Progress and with USAID to build the middle class in those countries. So if they don't feel the need to leave their family, leave their and endure these terrible journeys through thousands of miles and and risk their lives and their children's lives to flee to the United States. And so many of them are dying, too. And, you know, the other big item besides the border is a lot of our allies. Saudi Arabia has been our ally forever. All of a sudden, they're turning around against us and uh, are siding with Iran uh, and uh, uh, I, I think we're losing Brazil. I think Argentina is going with the Chinese. I mean, why are our allies, traditional allies for America, for the last 50 years, 70 years, turning against us? Because we have a failed foreign policy, John, that's based upon projection of military power. And that is what the neocons brought to our country. 
of saying that we, you know, we won the Cold War. This is their document, the Project for a New American Century, Wolf Gowitz and Rumsfeld, and Victoria Newland, who is back in the White House dictating foreign policy right now. We won the Cold War, and now we deserve to have an American century that's enforced through force of arms in all the countries to establish American hegemony through military power across the globe. And it's a failed system. It's a failed philosophy. It's a failed strategy. The Chinese have done exactly the opposite. The Chinese, instead of projecting military power, have projected economic power. Yes, the, the, the Chinese. The Chinese do not want a a nuclear war. The Chinese do not want a fighting war. But they are kicking the the crap out of us economically. Well, here's what the Chinese did after nine eleven, after the Iraq War. We went to war for against Iraq preemptively for no reason. Iraq didn't do anything to us. We spent eight point one trillion dollars. On this that war in its aftermath in Yemen and Sudan, in Syria, in in Lebanon, etc. And during the time that we spent eight point one trillion dollars bombing bridges, bombing ports, bombing hospitals and homes, and the Chinese spent the exact same amount, eight point one trillion dollars building ports, building bridges, building airstrips, building roads in countries all over Africa, Latin America, and Asia. And as it turns out, that's been a much better strategy. Our strategy in the Mideast was called the Shia Crescent. Saudi Arabia was the keystone. And then the Arab Emirates, the, the uh, Oman, Qatar, uh, Abu Dhabi, and up through Lebanon and Syria were supposed to be a Shia crescent that would contain the expansion and the ambitions of Iran. What happened a month ago is Saudi Arabia brokered a deal between, I mean, China brokered a deal between Saudi Arabia and Iran. So our whole philosophy, our whole military strategy, the the entire American empire collapsed because the Chinese went in and used their economic power to build real friendships with these countries and real trust without strings attached. And the Saudi Arabians, or um, Mohammed bin Salam, two weeks after that, dropped oil production during an American inflationary spiral, which, of course, aggravates inflation in our country. The Saudis have never done that before. And a week after that, he explained his rationale. He said, we don't care what the Americans think anymore. So we put a trillion dollars a year into supporting these bases, 800 bases around the world, trying to bribe with military weaponry, Saudi Arabia and all these countries. And the whole keystone of that strategy collapsed inside of one month in March. And that is the failure. And I'll tell you something, John. When my uncle was president, he was surrounded by a military industrial complex and intelligence apparatus that was constantly trying to get him to go to war in Laos, Vietnam, et cetera. He refused. He said that the job of the American president is to keep the nation out of war. He refused to send combat troops into Vietnam. And I agreed. I agreed with your uncle, and I agreed. And let me ask you a question. I mean, I've never asked you this before. Who do you think really killed your uncle? Well, I think there's overwhelming evidence that the CIA was involved in this murder. I think it's beyond a reasonable doubt at this point. People, you know, who question that, I'll tell you the book, you know, a book that that probably distills 
the millions of documents of evidence, including confessions of people who were involved in the crime and the, and the 60 year cover up. Um, the best kind of distillation of that is a book called The Unspeakable by Jim Douglas. And I, of course, read probably 100 books on the subject. Let me ask you I, one more I question. That book is the best. I've said publicly and on the radio that the same people that killed your, your uncle killed Martin Luther King and killed your father. Well, in terms of my father's death, in terms of my uncle's death, the evidence is overwhelming that the CIA was involved in the murder and in the cover-up. The evidence of the CIA involvement in my father's death is very convincing, but it's circumstantial. We do not have the, you know, the, the really strong documentary and testimonial evidence that we have in my uncle. But we, the, the best, the best evidence suggests that my father was killed by Eugene Thanksgiver. Say, Sirhan Sirhan fired his shots. He fired eight shots, two of them toward my father. One of them hit Paul Schrade, who was my father's friend and a UAW leader. The second shot he fired at my father hit the door jam behind my father and was later removed by the police. Sirhan was then pounced upon by six men and bent over the steam table and his firing arm was directed away from my father. But they, Rayford Johnson said he had superhuman strength. They could not get the pistol away from him. So he emptied the barrel. He emptied the chamber. He fired six other shots. And all of those shots hit people. So we know, and we know what happened to all the shots. Robert, I, I remember that day like yesterday. There were 77 eyewitnesses. Sirhan was always in front of my father. My father, the autopsy by Thomas Noguchi shows, was killed by four shots that were hit, that hit him yeah. from behind. They were all contact shots. The barrel of the gun was touching his skin or his clothes at the time the trigger was pulled. Those shots were almost certainly fired by the security guard who was holding his elbow at the time and directing him toward the ambush, to, towards Sir Ham's ambush. That man is called Eugene Payne Caesar. He was an intelligence operative who worked at the Lockheed plant and the Boeing plant and had gotten the job as a security guard for my father three days earlier. He he publicly made statements uh, that he hated the Kennedys. He particularly hated Robert Kennedy because he thought Robert Kennedy was going to turn the country over to the blacks. This was his statement. Um, he died two years ago. I was in communication with him at the time, uh, asking to come over to the Philippines where he fled afterwards. And by the way, he was seen by 12 eyewitnesses with his gun out. He never denied it. He said that he pulled his gun to shoot at Sirhan. When my father fell, he must have known that he was being shot from behind because he turned around and pulled off Cesar's clip on tie. And then he fell backwards on top of Cesar. When Cesar got up, he was holding his gun, which was seen, as I say, by a dozen eyewitnesses. But he later, the gun was not confiscated by the LAPD. He later lied about what he did with the gun, and uh, and he he, lied, he changed his story repeatedly about why he got his he had his gun out and who he was firing at. Robert, 
I want I want to continue this discussion. We're out of time, but I wanted to continue this discussion again in the near future. And you know, you, what we're talking about is about part of American history. And uh, keep fighting for America. I understand the difference differences between you and President Joe Joe Biden. And uh, we'll continue our conversation. Thank you so much for coming on this Sunday morning. Thanks for having me. Uh, this is the Cast Roundtable. We'll be right back. Here's the man who is New York, exploring the truth, telling both sides with common sense thinking. Here's John Katsimatidis on Talk Radio 77 WABC. This is the Cats Roundtable. With us today is Frank Tarantino, special agent in charge of the U.S. Drug Enforcement Administration. And uh, Frank, uh, I, I hear that you... You have make some successes going on. Tell us, tell us what's going on. Well, good afternoon, John. Uh, it's great to be here. Uh, what I would tell you is that the DEA, New York Division, and DEA across the country are laser focused on defeating the cartels and the Chinese criminal groups that are impacting our our area. And what what I will tell you is that we've had some significant successes in the recent months and weeks. Uh, more pointedly, uh, Operation Last Mile resulted in some significant seizures for the New York division. We seized over 1.5 million pills um, and, and roughly 375 pounds of fentanyl powder. And that equates to approximately 10.5 million potential lethal doses that we've removed from our city streets here in New York. And, and that has a significant impact on the public health and public safety of our, of our communities. That is a big, big number, and uh, uh, I'm, I'm glad uh, we're, we're ahead of the curve right now. Uh, but so many people are dying in our country. Uh, what, what can we do? What else can the American people do? What else can New Yorkers do? Well, John, what we're doing every single day is trying to educate the public on the threat that is emanating from Mexico and China. The cartels are intentionally, deliberately, and very uh, calculatedly deceiving Americans by mixing fentanyl into all of the drugs that are appearing on our city streets. So it's mixed into cocaine, methamphetamine, heroin, and clearly it's in these fake pills that we're seizing every every day. And so what we want the public to know is that this threat exists, that they need to arm themselves with information and knowledge about how lethal fentanyl is, only two milligrams, is a lethal dose. We want them to uh, educate their loved ones, especially the most vulnerable. We want educators and caregivers and people in areas of responsibility to go onto our website, go onto the DEA.gov site, backslash one pill, and download our information and, and arm themselves with the information that can help save a life. Our schools, are they helping? Are they teaching the kids in school? John, we're working with the local communities and with the school districts to get into the schools to uh, educate them on the One Pill Can Kill public awareness campaign. And also we, we do a lot with, with Red Ribbon um, during the month of October to educate all the young people about the dangers involving in illicit narcotics. But again, this is the DEA's focus right now. The number one priority is to defeat the cartels. The number one priority is to uh, educate and um, and influence the community 
on the threat that emanates from Mexico and China. The Chinese criminal groups are responsible for the precursor chemicals that are flowing into Mexico that are being synthesized in these massive laboratories, these clandestine laboratories in Mexico, John. They're the ones that are mass producing these fentanyl pills in hundreds of millions of of doses that are flooding into the United States, into New York City, and ending up on social media. And so, John, one real key point, I think, of emphasis that I'd like to point out is that social media plays a very big role in this problem that we're facing. Roughly, of the over 3,000 cases that we had across the country during Operation Last Mile, which was from May 21 to May 22, over half of our investigations involved some type of social media application and or encrypted app. So what what we're seeing is the cartels weaponizing social media to increase their customer base and influence the most vulnerable people out there to take that poison that's killing Americans. And it's horrible what's going on. Uh, we I understand we killed over a hundred thousand Americans in the last twelve months. Is that correct, John? We we have experienced in a, in a twelve month period over one hundred in 7,735 overdose deaths and or poisonings in the United States, which is the greatest number that we have ever experienced. It is the greatest threat to Americans today is fentanyl. Um, Operation Last Mile, which existed uh, from May 22nd to May of... From, and I'm sorry, what should Americans do? Uh, Americans need to be very vigilant about the dangers that lurk on social media with the drug traffickers that are portraying themselves as uh, people who can help them with different uh, public and and social economic uh, issues that they're experiencing. These are not the types of pills that you would get from a licensed doctor or from a pharmacist. If you're buying- In other words, you buy your stuff from a licensed pharmacist, don't buy it from anybody in the streets. That's that's 100% accurate, John. If you're getting your drugs off of the internet, off of social media or on the street, it's going to be laced with fentanyl. It's going to be lethal. And you may die. You you very well may die, yes. And Operation Last Mile was DEA's effort to hold those distribution networks accountable for spreading the fentanyl pills and the fentanyl powder throughout the United States, but more specifically here in in New York City. The DEA New York Division is laser-focused on defeating the cartels. We have over 45 investigations targeting the cartels, 37 involving Sinaloa and 14 involving Jalisco. And this is our focus every day is to defeat the cartels, hold them accountable for causing the most harm in our communities. And the the statistics speak for themselves. Over 1.5 million pills seized, over 375 pounds of fentanyl powder, roughly over 10.5 million potential lethal doses removed from our New York City streets is saving lives. And that's what DEA's mission is every day, save lives. Thank you, Frank Tarantino, Special Agent in Charge of U.S. Drug Enforcement Administration in New York. Thank you so much. Thank you, John. With us today is John Chanchis, a good friend, a media executive, and runs his own media company. At one time, he ran uh, the media for Lazard Frere. Uh, tell us the name of your company that you run now, John. Uh, our, our advisory firm is called Methuselah Advisors, and our broadcast company is called Inyo Broadcasting. Understood. And there's so many problems in uh, broadcasting that we're going to talk about, and there's also problems uh, uh, in our city that we both love and live in. Uh, where do you want to start? Uh, let's start with the city that we love and live in. 
it seems like every day we wake up, there's another bad headline. Well, there's 484,000 people have left the city. Uh, there were, and the people that have stayed were hoping that the budget in Albany will come out for uh, in common sense. And it seems like uh, common sense did not necessarily prevail. What say no, you? There's, there is, there's, there's, there's no common sense in, uh, in New York City politics and uh, New York State politics, for that matter. Uh, I think it's quite remarkable. You saw the article a couple of days ago about the state of Illinois having the same kind of exodus. We have the post-pandemic result of wealthy people and businesses were taught that they are mobile and they are leaving. And the, the flight out of, for lack of a better description, blue states is remarkable. And the growth in places like Texas and Florida and Utah and places that function is off the chart. And New York State, you know, we barely have seen the data for 2021. We're now going to pretty soon see the data for 2022. And the, the budget gap that's going to happen because the leadership in this state can't get their head wrapped around this is going to be astonishing, truly astonishing. Uh, and, you know, where we worry and, you know, you know what the other thing that we're worried about is keeping our citizens safe. All of a sudden, there's a big controversy in New York where uh, one of our Marines uh, that was uh, 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 that that was trained to protect Americans and to pr- pr- protect America, uh, uh, was protecting some subway riders, and now they want to they they want to uh, uh, indict him for murder. I mean, what say That's you crazy. on that? It's just crazy. It's just crazy. I mean, the, you know, the gentleman was on a subway where an erratic human was throwing things and threatening people, and he subdued him and. Unfortunately, that person that person died um, in the process. But uh, the idea that, uh, you know, someone defending New Yorkers is now indicted, it's just part of a whole culture a victimhood culture that's consumed our city and consumed our media and consumed our politicians. All they do is spend their time focused on things like that, not the fact that the city's less safe, dirtier, grimier uh, and a place that's difficult to do business. Um, And what we're going to see, John, I think this is the precursor, honestly, I think it's a precursor to. um, to uh, American bankruptcies in cities. I think New York could be the first. It, c- it could be back to the, the era when uh, when uh, uh, the city was on the brink. And uh, when they call up to Albany looking for money to bail it out of, of, its, of its financial uh, problems, the rest of the state of New York is going to say, forget it. So I think we are headed to a period where this kind of lunacy is going to start showing up in bankruptcies in American cities. Well, the, the problem being, and you know, in our five o'clock show on the week, days we we play the exodus music if the if the people are not going to be safe in new york and they're going to keep raising taxes and and they banned uh, you know they're banning uh, cigarette smoke but meanwhile you walk out of our office building that we mutually in the same building and you can get high just on uh, marijuana it's i mean uh, what what it's happens i mean the exodus continues who's going to pay the taxes well, and I own a business in San Francisco where every day our storefront manager has to go out front and sweep up the needles because the, the, the city supervisors of the city of San Francisco think it's a great idea to create human misery by inviting people to shoot up in public uh, you know, and, and to feed their drug addictions. I mean, this kind of uh, progressive policy lunacy is showing up in Seattle, Portland. Chicago, New York. It's essentially large urban environments run by people who basically have the philosophy that they can just uh, promote these kinds of uh, these kinds of urban policies, and there's no comeuppance for it. Well, the problem is going to be in in places like New York at some point, and the pandemic tra- taught people that they're mobile, that they can move with their money and their business. You're going to wake up and see that those who are the producers in our in our society get up and take their chips and leave. 
And what you're going to be left with is a city that's in a spiral. That's, you know, and, it, and, and I, had to, I had to say it. I, I'm sorry I come back to media. The media is somewhat complicit in this. The media used to sit above the sewage this and call is, out. When you talk about the media, you talk about the big corporations that now own most of the media in the United States. Is that what you're talking about? That's exactly what I'm talking about. That, not, you, not you, like that you. you helped make those some of those media companies when you were Lazard. I, I, I sure did, and I and I have supported them and financed them for years, um, and and helped them in their endeavors. But they are they have lost their way in terms of remembering their role as enterprise journalists. Enterprise journalists are, are no longer are no longer in business criticizing people equally. They have joined the circus on one side of the circus or the other, and it's a really dangerous thing. Yes, I understand that. So, you know, we're we're in for we're in for a real wild ride. I think the rest of 2023 is going to be a very difficult time for New York. Uh, uh, Mayor Adams can complain all he wants about the thousands of people being bused here from Texas. I mean, he and he and others like him have called New York the great sanctuary city. Now that these people are being brought here, they of course don't want them here. And uh, and the wealthy and producers in our in our city are departing. The media better start to report on. Well, that it's departing. It's departing the blue city. Is departing the blue states in, into states where uh, uh, they're not taxed as much, and they they feel safe. I guess they feel well, safe. So- they feel safe in Texas. They feel safe in Tennessee. They see they feel safe in South Carolina. They feel safe in Florida. Yeah, there there are lots of places where you can run your business, have your children go to school, uh, and not feel like you're under constant assault and criticism. I mean, sort of this, it's sort of the tone. The tone of the city of our city is a criticism of people that are productive, pay taxes, and employ people. And um, you know, I, I I don't know what the statistic is. I'd love for one of your people to look this up. But someone told me during the during the Bloomberg administration something like. 1,400 tax returns in the city of New York paid 55% of all of the income tax. 1,400 tax returns. So if you lose five of those or 10 of those, how many hundreds of millions of dollars of tax revenue do you lose, which pay for all of the programs and city employees and pension benefits and so forth that are unsustainable? That's where we're headed. And the longer that Kathy Hochul and, you know, uh, Eric Adams and uh, Cortez and all these people talk about this stuff without facing that fact. The city's going to get in deeper, deeper trouble, deeper trouble. Thank you so much. Yeah. Uh, thank you so much, John Chatches, and we'll catch up with you again real soon. Nice talking to you, John. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening to the Cats Roundtable. Every Sunday morning, we'll bring you the latest in what's happening in our community, our country, and the world. Enjoy the rest of your weekend. Have a nice Sunday. With crime running rampant in New York, you need to keep yourself and your family safe. Obtaining your concealed carry firearm licenses can be difficult and time-consuming. That's where MyFirstPistol.com comes in. They'll help you secure your concealed carry license. If you're looking for a pistol, premise, rifle, or shotgun license, call 347-559-7052. 347-559-7052. You must have a valid firearm license issued by the NYPD to purchase, possess, or shoot a handgun or pistol in NYPD. NYC.